Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And before we read God's word, let's go to him in prayer and ask for his help. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the best news in the world. Thank you for sending and giving your only begotten Son, your Son from heaven above, to become a man, to be born of a woman, and to live this life miserably, sorrowfully, to suffer injustice, humiliation, and to be perfect all the way through, to never stop loving, to never stop sympathizing, to never stop helping and serving, and ultimately to give his own, the life that he had, the perfect record that he had, to give it all up, to not gain anything from, our, from us, but to give everything to us and to honor you. Thank you for this wonderful news. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that this news will once again warm our hearts and rekindle our love for you, our commitment to you, our zeal for you. And I pray, Father, that this truth will also pierce the hearts of those that don't know you. That no matter how hard their hearts can be, that your truth is so much stronger. Please help us in these ways as we read the words of Jesus. Help us to understand and to behold you once again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I want to remind you that this is the word of God. Here now, the word of God. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever, stands forever. 
Jesus tells a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector, and one of the two, the Pharisee, is a conservative, renowned religious leader of a Jewish sect. The other, a tax collector, is socially on the same level as a sinner because he is a Jew that works for the Romans to collect taxes from other Jews. But both of them, both of them have huge sin problems. The Pharisee has a sin problem of self-righteousness, and the tax collector has a sin problem of unrighteousness. And somehow, Jesus declares only one of them to be justified, and he was the tax collector. Um, Today, there's a lot of ways to get yourself socially outcast. You could support President Trump. You could support President-elect Biden. You could support the BLM movement. You could not support the BLM movement. You could support funding the police. You could not support funding the police. And the list goes on and on and on. You can pick your social poison and you could leopardize yourself. I made that word up, leopardize, being a leper. Now imagine that Jesus told you a parable and this parable was about a pastor and that person that you want to leopardize, that social outcast for being a Trump supporter, Biden supporter, BLM supporter, whatever you want to put there. Imagine that he told you a parable about a pastor and that person. And at the end of this parable, Jesus says that that supposed social sinner went home justified, not the seemingly respectable pastor but that social outcast, that tax collector. How can Jesus say that? How is the tax collector justified and not the Pharisee? For what reason? Aren't both of them sinners before God? Why did God even justify either of them? And Jesus answers, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's, that's what I want to examine today. I want us to examine the sin of self-righteousness, the sin of unrighteousness, and then I want to end with the solution of God's righteousness. The sin of self-righteousness, the sin of unrighteousness, and then the solution of God's righteousness. First, let's look at the sin of self-righteousness. What does the sin of self-righteousness look like? And look at verses 11 through 12. Jesus says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Self-righteousness likes to puff itself up. It likes to flex its muscles. Notice the Pharisee mentions a list of all of his achievements, but does not mention one of his failures. He's good at that. At the same time, the Pharisee is good at mentioning the failures of others. 
the Pharisee boasts, and he boasts that he's not like other men. He's not like the extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector, who clearly has an unrighteous problem. No, the Pharisee fasts twice a week, gives tithes. Self-righteousness has a problem of exalting self and humbling others. God, he did that, but, but I did not do that. I, I can't believe that he did that. I, I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. I don't understand how someone can do such a thing. I don't understand why they would pick that side. Interestingly, um, self-righteousness, the self-righteous people become the measure of all things and have no grace towards those who break their selective walls. Self-righteousness. And who has the sin of self-righteousness? In this parable, it's not the tax collector. It's the Pharisee. It's the religious. In modern-day terms, it's the church man. Um, I, ha- I heard a pastor say something to this effect. You would almost never meet a self-righteous drunkard at a bar. You would almost never meet a self-righteous prostitute in a dimly lit brothel. Why? Because they know. They know that getting drunk and selling their body is not something you boast about. They know that they are in a wrong standing with God. They almost never have a problem with self-righteousness. They have a problem with unrighteousness. So where are you most likely to see self-righteousness? And this parable gives us an idea. You're most likely to see self-righteousness among religious people, among people who think they're right. You're most likely going to see them here in the church. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is not a problem with people who believe that they are in a wrong standing with God. Self-righteousness is a problem with people who believe that they are not in a wrong standing with God. Self-righteousness is not a, a problem believing that you are bad Self-righteousness is a problem of believing that you are good enough. Here's the irony. The irony of self-righteousness. Self-righteous people do not think that they themselves are self-righteous. So, some of you may be self-righteous, but because you think you're not, you will believe that you're not. Or because you are, you will think that you're not. So if you are here today and you think this problem doesn't relate to you, then it probably relates to you. It almost definitely relates to you. If you are here today and you got triggered because I talked about some supporters, this problem probably relates to you. Um, Self-righteousness is a problem that a lot of people have had in the past 2020. 
So the problem with self-righteousness is the same problem with painting over a house, a defected house. You can use as much paint as you want. You can make the house look as beautiful as you want, as presentable as you want, and it looks astounding on the outside. But on the inside, it still has its defects. It looks pristine and perfect to outsiders, but there is no fooling God. And one day, that house will fall. A self-righteous person can continuously try to present himself to be perfect with all the paint in the world, but that paint will not save him. No matter how diligently he paints, no, no matter how beautiful his house may look, no matter all the good he tries to earn, this sort of righteousness will fail before God. Self-righteousness is terminal. It kills. That's what self-righteousness looks like, and it's a scary thing. And um, you may experience it even in relationships. Um, if you see a problem with deflecting, or if you see a problem who, a person who always wants to be right, you may see self-righteousness. Um, here's a silly example. Husband, I told you, you said you were going to take out the trash today, but, but I took it out yesterday. It deflects, even though it's his responsibility today. What about the sin of unrighteousness? Look at what Jesus says in verses 13 and 14. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Self-righteousness likes to play pretense and hide from God. But this tax collector doesn't have that problem. His problem is unrighteousness. You can see visibly the inner turmoil of the tax collector. You can see how grieved and unraveled he is before God. The sin of self-righteousness is terminal, but the sin of unrighteousness is also terminal. It kills Unrighteousness cannot stand before God. Rather, it will stand at a distance. It cannot lift up its eyes to heaven. Unrighteousness deserves to be condemned as well. So how is Jesus able to say that this man, this unrighteous man, this tax collector went home justified? It's not because of the tax collector's unrighteousness that he went home justified. It's because of this man's humility, his humility. You see, both the Pharisee and the tax collector have terminal sins. Uh, another way of thinking about it is they both have defected houses. Both their houses will fall. But humility, 
comes before God, totally transparent, without the pretense of pain. Humility does not downplay or minimize the truth, but agrees with the truth. You, you see what the tax collector says? He didn't say, God, I'm sorry for making a mistake. He didn't say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It was me. I did it. I made defense. I offended you, people. I offended you. I have transgressed. Forgive the iniquity of my heart. Forgive me. I did it. There's no hiding. Totally naked before God. Humility recognizes that he does not have the right to stand before God, but that God must go to him first. Humility understands that he cannot, no matter what, earn his way to God, but that God must voluntarily give himself. Humility recognizes that the only righteousness that can withstand all righteous God is God's own righteousness, not man-made self-righteousness or not man-made unrighteousness because both of those righteousnesses fall short. And so the tax collector says, in humility pleads, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, maybe you could think about it in your own words. God, have mercy on me. I, I keep failing. I keep failing. God, I'm sorry. I, I just keep doing the same thing. I keep speaking angrily to my wife. God, I just can't love my kids. I'm so frustrated. Totally naked before God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What else could he do? He can't hide. And so he prays, he confesses, and he puts himself at the mercy of God. And somehow Jesus says he's justified, this unrighteous man. Think about it, a sinner. You can think about a murderer, an adulterer, a thief, a blasphemer, yourselves. Justified. What did he do? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Is that enough to be saved? Is this it? That's all he's got to do? That's all he's, he's just got to pray to God and confess his sins? Is this faith in God enough? And the answer is, it is enough. It is totally enough. Why? Because the one who spoke this parable was on the way to accomplish the great work of salvation he needed. He was on the way to do what every other human being in history has failed to do, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Why is it enough to have faith in God and that's it? Because the man who spoke this parable did 
all the work himself. He earned salvation. He was perfectly righteous all the way through. And he was willing to give it freely for those who believe in him. That's why it's enough. And that's why the tax collector can be justified. What happened at the cross of Christ is that for all believers, all of our sins have been imputed to that man. That's why he died. That's why he was crucified as a criminal. That's why, although he was innocent, he still died. Because all of the sins of believers were imputed to him. Not only did he die a physical death, but he took on, he bore the wrath of God Almighty. Because that's what we all deserve. But what's the point of his life? The point of his life is he gave that life record to all believers. Our sin has been put on him and his righteousness has been put on us. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He did all the work. All that's required of us is faith in God. Who can receive this gift, this good gift of grace? I can tell you for sure that the self-righteous cannot receive this gift. They cannot. Because the self-righteous believe that they are right before God Almighty with their own righteousness. They don't need God. They don't need God to please God. They believe that they are godly enough in them selves. They either have a too grand view, too high view of themselves, or too small view of God. Uh, I met some people, uh, unfortunately, uh, evangelizing. Um, these people who, who rather be right enough to go to hell rather than wrong enough to go to heaven. Self-righteousness, it kills you. It kills you. But humility is the way to receive the good gift of grace. How do you receive this grace? It's those who are humble enough to receive this grace through faith. To say, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. To say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's um, a few ways um, that this prayer could be maybe more applicable to you. God, I've played this theological game and this intellectual game for long enough, and what does it matter at the end if I'm still at a wrong standing with you? I need your help. I could try and try and try to knowledge my way and distract myself away from that reality. But does it matter? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, please forgive me. 
for I just keep failing to my family. I keep failing. God, please have mercy on me. I keep watching things that I should not be watching, and I've done it for years and years. See, humility says, God already sees me naked, and he already knows I'm unrighteous. He's the only one who can help me. I need his help. Self-righteousness will clench their fist, saying that they don't need any help from God Almighty. Humility will open their hands and say, God, I need everything you can give me. I can't do it myself. This good news is for the utterly wretched, the destitute, the poor in spirit. That's why it's good news. Because God saved those who can't save themselves. So, what should we gain from this parable? And it's the title of our sermon today. It's, so church, let us humble ourselves. What does humility look like? Um, humility looks like receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. Receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. To realize that maybe, relatively, you are righteous before other people. That's what the Pharisee did, right? He compared himself to other men. But before God Almighty, there is no way. And to say, God, your standards are truth. And I need your help. I want to give you some practical applications with humility. How humility could be very applicable and very relevant, very practical, very real and tangible in your life. Let me give you one very clear application from this text. Humility looks like prayer. It looks like prayer, honesty, transparency, confession. Humility doesn't hide from God. It looks like going to God and not blaming anyone else and not calling sin what it's not, but calling it what it is. So here's an example of what it's not. If you have been hateful in speech, humility does not look like God have mercy on me, but I mean, that dude, he deserved it. That's not humility. Humility doesn't even look like, God, have mercy on me. It accidentally came out. Humility looks like, I said that. It was me. You know that. I know it. It was me. I sinned. I spoke that. Prayer, honesty, transparency. Confession. To go before God Almighty, the only one who can help you and the only one who can save you, and to tell him that you, like the tax collector, are unrighteous and you need his righteousness. Um, there's lots of ways you could pray to God, but being honest with him. If you have a hard time praying, 
we say this all the time, come to prayer meetings um, for the men. Um, I'm hoping to start prayer meetings soon, hopefully um, at latest next week. But pray, pray. Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. Humility doesn't need God. Or if you are not humble, you don't need God, which is why we won't pray. But if you are humble, you realize that you are in desperate need of God. You can even pray things like, God, I can't even love my wife apart from you. I can't even do that. God, I can't even be kind to my children apart from you. God, I can't even be honest with my friends apart from you. I just put on this facade, this two-face, because I'm ashamed at what they'll see. God, I need you. I need you, God. I can't do it alone. Humility also looks like asking for forgiveness, even to people that you may think you don't need to ask, like your children The children need to see forgiveness. They need to see Jesus. They need you to say, I'm sorry. I hurt you. That was me. I shouldn't have done that, but I did it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Asking for forgiveness. Humility looks like getting help, accountability, mentors, friends. Um, we have pastoral counseling and we have a great church here. Um, A lot of people who would love to shower their love upon you. But humility looks like no longer hiding but being honest and saying, I need help. I need help. Humility also looks like to stop thinking of people as an inconvenience, but more as a providence from God. Humility looks like to desire and seek God's will rather than your will. I don't know what God's will is, but it seeks it. It seeks it because you know his will is better. Humility is to look less at yourself and more at Christ Jesus, the Son of God from heaven, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, and as low as the grave, so as to give his own life to many. That's humility. The way that you can reject this good news is if you don't have humility. To, you could do whatever you can. You could deny it. You could not believe it. But for those of you who will be honest with yourselves, like that tax collector, for those of you who know yourself, who know your failures and shortcomings, your sins, I want, I want to encourage you by the person of this, speaking this parable, This person who spoke the parable, his name is Jesus, and he's the son of God who came from heaven. 
he also is the spokesperson of God himself. And the spokesperson of God himself says, for those of you who will humble, be humble, you will be exalted. And according to this parable, justified. And that comes from as high as heaven. So, church, let us humble ourselves. We, we have this year 2021, um, and there's a lot of arguments, a lot of uh, fighting in our culture today and the world, and sometimes the church can get caught up into that. But the way to speak the loudest is to be humble, because that's when you give Jesus the most, and that's what people need. We need to be honest. We need to be humble. So the sin of self-righteousness and the sin of unrighteousness both kill you. But the only solution is God's righteousness. And I want to end now by giving you, actually, one minute to pray individually. The tax collector was honest with God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So where do you start? You start with your relationship with God being humble. It's okay. He knows anyway. But to say, God, I need your help. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And out of the outflow of the grace of God, out of the outflow of this gospel, share that good news to others and love on others with the love that you have received. So let's pray right now. Let's pray for about 30 seconds to a minute. And I want you individually before God to confess your sins and to ask for mercy. And then I'll close us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how is it that we can call you our Father? Father, there are many of us here today that need your help. All of us need your help. We have, some of us have this self-righteousness in us that we just can't seem to kill. We want to be right. Please help us. Some of us are so guilt-ridden, so ashamed with our unrighteousness. Please have mercy on us. Father, we recognize that you are the only one who can help us because everyone else, including ourselves, have failed.
Father, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your help and grace to even be humble in our day-to-day lives that we can exude the grace of God to everyone else. And Father, we want to say thank you for sending your son. Why would you do such a marvelous thing? How could we reject such a good gift? Father, there is no one like you and there is no one like your son who has traveled as high as heaven to this earth beneath, who humiliated, who condescended, who gave up everything so that he can give us everything. Thank you so much. Father, we pray that you would start with us, that you would hear our prayers for the sake of your name. Help us to be a humble people. May this church reflect Jesus to all around the world and may we affect them with our humility. Not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness that we have received, your righteousness. May that exude more and more. May we be a gracious people and may we be a loving people. Thank you so much. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.